And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How are you doing this morning? Recover from turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and shopping? How many of you went out on Black Friday? Oh, yeah, more than, raise them up high. I'm really curious because I haven't run into too many people that didn't go out at all. Well, good, so about half. And then how many went out on Saturday and returned half everything you bought? <laughs> yeah, even longer lines is what I heard on Saturday. In fact, uh, I was reading a report where there were a lot of lines um, in the return lines of people returning things. Maybe got a little too excited on, on, uh, on Black Friday and how much they spent. Um, before I start, I do want to mention one thing, if I can find it. There it is. In your bulletin, you will find a red envelope. Go ahead, take it out. Lay hands on it. So we do in church. We lay hands on things. In this case, it's the red envelope. And back by popular demand from last year is the Red Envelope Initiative, also known as REI. Yes? <laughs> you remember the Red Envelope Initiative? You're looking at me like, what Red Envelope Initiative? Well, remember, what we're going to ask you to do this Sunday after service and next is to take a little extra money, $5, $10, $50, $100, I don't know, over and above tithing or year-end gift that you're planning. Go ahead, slip it in this envelope. Don't seal it. I didn't tell the folks this morning. Please don't seal it, but just slip it in there and put it in a basket that the ushers will have on your way out this morning and next week. We'll collect it all, and we'll rearrange it randomly put it back in there together with a bit of a surprise, hand it back to all who want to participate. And if you're still with me, then you'll take that money and your task will be to do something for someone face-to-face this Christmas who has a need. And I tell you, those of you who participated last year, you'll remember what a huge blessing it was to so many, um, both for the people that are receiving, but also the people who took the time to give in that way. So please, Don't forget the Red Envelope Initiative. We'll collect them today after service and next week. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. And this morning, we're done with our parables, and we're moving on to something that I'm calling the promise of Christmas. When you hear promise of Christmas, what does that make you think of? What is the promise of Christmas? I got answers this morning like Jesus, and yeah, that, you know, that's the right answer to all Bible questions, but this time it's particularly right. Sacrifice, you know, the incarnation, salvation, all of those amazing promises of Christmas. There's a bit of a different angle I'd like to take beginning this morning to introduce this series that we'll cover for the next few weeks about what is exactly the promise of Christmas in general, or what's another promise of Christmas. Certainly all of those answers and and more are promises of Christmas, but there's one at least I'd like to add. If it's not already there with you, it wasn't with me until I discovered it the last couple of weeks, but I'd like it to I'd like you all to take it with you today and add it to your thinking over and your celebrating this Christmas season, the promise of Christmas. Your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 1. Mine almost is. Sorry. Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 
26. A passage full of promises of Christmas, but one in particular. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now, how in the world did Mary ever believe that angel? We read right over that story every year. I want to pause and I want you to really wrestle with that question. You're Mary sitting there. How in the world did she ever believe him? Because what Gabriel said was impossible. It was impossible. Most of you have heard the story before this morning. I would imagine God sends a messenger to a teenage girl. Best evidence is Mary is 12 or 13 years old since that's the time in first century Bible times that a young girl would be pledged to be married as she is. So God sends a messenger to a teenage girl. Her name is Mary. And the messenger is an angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel tells Mary, this teen, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And he gives her the news before she's expecting. And, well, that's just not the way it usually goes, is it? I mean, you find out you're going to have a baby when you're already expecting, right? Not before. And how did Gabriel's impossible news that she was going to be expecting a baby affect Mary? How would it affect you if you were an unwed teen? Well, we know that Mary was deeply troubled and afraid, but she was deeply troubled and afraid by the angel telling her she was highly favored and that God was with her. Luke tells us that Mary wonders, what kind of hello is that? I'm highly favored, God is with me, and she's deeply troubled, not, it would seem, so much, if at all, by the angels appearing to her. That's not what the story tells us. That'd be enough to cause trouble and fear in me if Gabriel showed up. But the Bible said she's troubled by the angel's 
greeting. Curious reaction from Mary, don't you think? As you might imagine, commentators debate what troubled Mary by such a warm greeting. Why would it be troubling for someone to come and say, hey, you are highly favored and God is with with you. Would that trouble you? Would that cause you to fear? Would you be greatly troubled by that greeting? You're highly favored and God is with you? One guess, a best guess at an explanation, in my opinion, is that Mary's reaction is very similar. Her reaction is very similar to the reaction of many in the Bible. Whenever God shows up and wants to partner with them to do something impossible, her reaction's very similar. Think Moses and the burning bush. Think Gideon and his requests for repeated signs. And so many stories like them in the Bible where people are hesitant or incredulous when God shows up and says in effect, hey, let's do something impossible together. And this girl of staunchly religious Nazareth certainly knew those Bible stories well. Maybe Mary took one look at that angel, this messenger of God, calling her highly favored and telling her God was with her, and she thought, oh no, what now? Are you sure you have the right house or the right girl? I'm highly favored. What does God want of me. Eugene Peterson, in his excellent translation, The Message, has Mary wondering, what's behind such a greeting? And in her wildest dreams, I bet Mary didn't expect to hear what the angel tells her next. And Gabriel lays it on her, right? It's almost comical in a way, comical because we know the ending. Gabriel says to this unwed teen, don't be afraid, you're going to have a baby. (laughs) Kind of an oxymoron, don't you think? I mean, having a baby certainly isn't troubling to an unwed single first century teen in Nazareth, is it, where the law of the day for sex outside of marriage was death. Don't be afraid, Mary. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be shameful. You may get dragged before the council of elders of Nazareth and put on trial for adultery or fornication. But God's with you. And it gets better, or worse perhaps, for a deeply troubled and scared teenage girl And you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to be called Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High, that's the most exalted name for God himself. He's going to be called the Son of God himself, and he's going to be a great king that reigns forever and ever in a kingdom that will never end, Mary. And I wonder what Mary felt at that moment she heard those words. For an instant... For an instant, maybe was there something in this girl 
that forgot to be greatly troubled and afraid. For an instant did her heart at least fill with joy. A baby? I'm going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy, a baby boy. I'm going to have a baby, and he's going to be awesome. Oh, and maybe your next thought was, oh, just wait until I tell Joseph. Just wait till I tell Mom and tell Dad. Oh, right. And if the deeply troubled teen at Gabriel's greeting had forgotten her trouble for an instant, surely now it came back redoubled. Oh, Joseph and my family. What am I going to do? And so Mary asks a very brave, a very practical question. How, Gabriel? Gabriel, I'm a, I'm a virgin. And in her even wilder, wildest dreams, I bet Mary didn't expect to hear what the angel tells her next. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's how, Mary, that's how this baby will be called the Son of God. Mary, you're going to have this baby with God. Oh. But that's impossible. I wonder if she thought that. Once again, God shows up and asks of his people to partner with him to do something impossible. And baby Mary for a bit is speechless. Who wouldn't be? I mean, this is going to take some time to process or to ponder, as we know later Mary is want to do. And I don't know, maybe the mighty archangel sees or senses or empathizes with this trembling little girl at the thought of the Most High God coming down on you and you're going to be pregnant. She's got to be a bit overwhelmed at the moment, sitting there, I imagine, in shock maybe, wringing her hands. Is she looking at the floor? Are tears starting to well up in those young eyes? Is she wrestling is she wrestling with the stunning words just given to her? The stunning promise that she was going to have a baby with God? The stunning, impossible promise of Christmas? And so even without Mary asking for one, unlike Moses, unlike Gideon, unlike so many in the Bible, Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but even without her asking for one, the archangel stops and pauses and Gabriel gives her two. He gives her two things, two signs to help her find her confidence, two things to anchor her belief, two hooks on which to hang her faith, two paths that Mary can follow to find a way to trust this stunning, impossible promise of Christmas. Your relative Elizabeth, Mary, you know Elizabeth, the one who can't have children, and even if she could, is way too old to have children. Well, Mary, she's six months 
pregnant, Mary. Impossible, I know, but true. You think about that when doubt tries to tell you that it's impossible for God's promise to come true in you. And I imagine at those words, if Mary's eyes had been down, that she looks up into the angel's bright, smiling, confident, reassuring face and listens as Gabriel continues. And Mary, you need to understand a very important truth and build your confidence, your faith even squarely upon it. Mary, my dear child, there is nothing that is impossible with God. And Mary finds enough trust and confidence and even a bit of eagerness maybe in her voice in the face of the impossible. The message translates Mary's response this way, I'm ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And Gabriel is satisfied and leaves. And as soon as she's gone, Mary goes and checks out the angel's story by visiting Elizabeth. Have you ever noticed? Well, wouldn't you? And I don't know, maybe because Elizabeth is family, they've already heard of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We don't know. But boy, is she in a hurry to go talk to Elizabeth. One of the next morning, she goes and finds Joseph, talks to mom and dad, and says, Hey, Joseph, mom, dad, um, going down to Judea to visit Elizabeth. Oh, no reason. I'll be back in, um, oh, maybe three months. Why three months was she there, do you suppose? Elizabeth is how many months pregnant? I think Mary wants to see that baby. And who knows how Mary managed that trip, but down to Judea she goes. And when Mary sees the impossible, as indeed happened with Elizabeth, this barren woman, six months pregnant, only then do we get Mary's famous song, praising God for being faithful to his promises, his impossible promises. It's interesting. The Bible tells us Mary stays about three months with Elizabeth, suggesting it would seem she was there when John the Baptist was born. Only after seeing that baby with her own eyes, perhaps, does our now confident and redetermined teen return back home to face Nazareth. Is Mary pregnant already, do you suppose? Starting to show at three months? We're not sure of the timing here. The Bible simply doesn't tell us. It's silent on the amount of time that passed between Gabriel's visit and Mary's conception. Tradition, church tradition, suggests it happened right away, but be careful with that assumption, especially in light of the fact that when God comes and promises children, sometimes in the text it takes a long time. Ask Abraham and Sarah. But maybe it happened right away. In any event, back to Nazareth, Mary goes. 
may be showing and certainly, I think, rehearsing if she hasn't told them already over and over and over, how on earth is she going to face her father and tell her mother? And Joseph, oi, Joseph, her fiancé, how many times do you suppose did that young girl pray on the road back to Nazareth, a prayer like, oh God, please help Joseph understand. If he doesn't, I don't know what I'll do. Help him believe my story about the angel. Please do something, Father. Help him believe my story that I'm pregnant without sleeping with anyone. That it's your miracle in me. Getting Joseph to believe her and accept her as his wife had to seem impossible to Mary. Guys, how many of you would believe your fiancé with such a story? Well, it's like this. An angel came. Must have seemed impossible, but you know what? Mary had just seen the impossible. A wriggling, alive, crying, full of life baby boy in John the Baptist, born impossibly to a barren woman. So she was learning that Gabriel was right. There is nothing that is impossible with God. And Gabriel gave Mary those two hooks on which to hang her faith. And Elizabeth's impossible pregnancy. And the second hook, the truth, the very word of God. The reminder that nothing is impossible with God. And do you know what, my friends? We have the same two hooks today. Each one of us. We have the testimony of countless people in our lives today and in the past. Testimony of God's miraculous power in their lives like Mary had in Elizabeth and in our own lives. And we also have the promise of the Word of God that tells us things like He loves us and that He's with us always and that He's coming back for us. And when He comes back, like Craig just sang, He's going to make it all right. Boy, that sounds impossible sometimes, doesn't it? Those are the same assurances that Gabriel gave Mary. It's the same that we have today, helping us find our confidence, helping us believe, helping us to trust that nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that promise of Christmas? The promise of Christmas that nothing is impossible with God We need to let the story of Christmas we need to let the story of Christmas cause our faith to increase. Let the hope of the season take hold in our hearts. Emmanuel, who came way back then, still comes to us and abides with us. The promise of Gabriel to Mary still holds true today. Nothing is impossible with God. The truth is 
that promise came centuries before the birth of Jesus. The proclamation of Gabriel was just the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. Speaking of the beginning, way back in the beginning, way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, God first made the promise of Christmas when he assured them that one day a descendant of Eve would come to crush the serpent's head. The promise of Christmas was renewed with a rainbow over Noah and his ark. The promise of Christmas was renewed again with Abram when God assured him that one day he would send the one, one of his descendants, and all nations would be blessed through him. And over and over and over again, the Old Testament, God renews his promise of Christmas. The sacrificial Passover lamb of Exodus would one day come for all people washed in Jesus' blood. The impossibly perfect high priest of Leviticus, a mediator who would plead our case to God, would one day appear. An even greater Joshua, Yeshua, would come to lead his people into the promised land, this time the kingdom of heaven. The judge of the world would put even the most righteous judges of the books of Judges and Samuel to shame when he made things right. Our kinsman redeemer would come to take us as his bride, even as Boaz took Ruth as his wife. A king would appear, far greater than any and all put together mentioned in Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And he would rebuild a temple and protecting walls far greater than those in Ezra and Nehemiah. And the promise of Christmas is that someone would come who would risk it all and put his life on the line against the most powerful kings of the earth, even as Esther did for her people. He would redeem his people even as Job was redeemed. The good shepherd of the Psalms would care for his sheep, and his wisdom would be the wisdom of Proverbs. He'd bring meaning to the meaninglessness that Ecclesiastes seems to shout in despair. And the promise of Christmas is that one will come who would love his beloved people as the lover and beloved love each other in the song. The promise of Christmas reverberates through Isaiah a suffering servant who would be glorified. He would be completely righteous on our behalf, promises Jeremiah. And this man of sorrows, of lamentations, this man of sorrows would be the one who had the right to rule in Ezekiel and the power to put flesh again on dry bones. The impossible promise of Christmas is the fourth man in the fire in Daniel, the one called the Son of Man. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, the one who pours out his spirit. In Amos, the promise is the eternal Christ.
In Obadiah, the promise is a deliverer, a forgiving Messiah. The promise of Christmas is the sign of Jonah. He's the ruler of the world from Bethlehem in Micah, the bringer of good tidings in Nahum, the savior in Habakkuk, the merciful king in Zephaniah, the desire of all nations. Did you catch the line in the song we sang? It's from Haggai. And he's the branch in Zechariah. And in Malachi, the impossible promise of Christmas is the son of righteousness is going to come, and he's going to come to bring healing in his wings. And throughout the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, God's promise of Christmas, his promise that nothing is impossible with God. Look, look, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. See, look at me do the impossible. It just reverberates throughout the centuries. Isaiah 7:14 proclaims, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Do you believe that promise of Christmas? Do you believe that that promise, do you believe the promise that nothing is impossible with God? What are you facing today that would take a miracle bigger than the virgin birth? See, and there are some that would question whether Mary was really a virgin. Be careful that you take away one of God's impossible promises that came true. You take away the testimony of the God that can do anything impossible. What are you facing in your life today that would require a bigger miracle than a virgin birth? You see, Christmas ought to remind us of the power of God to do the impossible. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus wanting the secret to eternal life, Jesus told him about keeping the commandments. The young man thought he didn't have a problem with any of them, but when Jesus told him there was one thing lacking and told him, go sell all you have and give to the poor, the young man walked away sad because he had great riches. And Jesus took that opportunity to teach his disciples a very important principle. Listen again to what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, and this is so ironic. He quotes what Gabriel told his mom when she was struggling with something impossible. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all, <clears throat> all things are possible. It's the same message for all of us today. The promise of Christmas is nothing is impossible with God. Yes, with men, many things impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It was the same promise given to Abram when Isaac was promised. Do you remember the story in Genesis 18? 
Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my, ma- after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. What a question that the Lord asked Abraham. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The mother of all rhetorical questions. And it's a question that Jeremiah, for one, answered when he prayed to God, Ah, sovereign Lord, You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. My friends, if you're ever having trouble believing that God is able to take care of the impossible in your life, step outside as perhaps Jeremiah did as he prayed on a clear night and look up and contemplate the one who put all those stars in place. Forty billion trillion of them, computers tell us, and that number's old. And the one who established the orbits of the planets in our universe, contemplate him. Contemplate the one who caused the earth to rotate on an invisible axis at just the right speed to make gravity work properly. Or take a trip to the mountains and look at the beauty of a mountain stream or the majesty of mountain peaks. God did that, and he started with nothing. And then measure your problem. Measure your problem in light of the enormity of creation and the spectacular miracle of the virgin birth. And believe again with all your heart that nothing is impossible with God. It is amazing how small even our most impossible problems look when measured against His power and His love. Take hold of the promise of Christmas and make it your own. Let God do the impossible in your life today and this Christmas. What if God shows up and asks you to do something impossible? Whatever life circumstances seem impossible to you, will you believe? Mary sure did, and I'm always encouraged. I'm always encouraged if Mary could believe that impossible message then what's my excuse? I can believe the impossible in my life is possible with God too. And when we can find that path, that path to trusting God in the midst of impossible circumstances, then my friends, we are indeed blessed. The Bible says, Mary has just traded stories with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, it seems, sees Mary's growing trust and acceptance that indeed nothing is impossible with God because Mary... Elizabeth makes this statement immediately before Mary bursts out into her song. Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has fulfilled his promises to her. When we believe that with God nothing is impossible, well, we believe in the promise of Christmas. The most impossible promise ever made. God made man the most impossible promise ever made and kept. So for the next few weeks, 
We'll continue looking at the promise of Christmas. I've got a sermon schedule on, us, on the screen for you the next two weeks. We'll look at the impossible promise kept through the incarnation of Christ, where God became man using two of Jesus' titles, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And then we'll look at what happens when we realize the promise of Christmas, when we accept it, something I'm calling the sign of Jonah. I'll explain it then. Make you come December 19. <laughs> then we'll have a Christmas Eve service. where we're still, we're still working on the time for that one, but we'll have an hour of Christmas carols and Scripture and maybe a short lesson. And then, on December 26, my family has a Christmas gift for you. At least I hope it's a gift. Um, we'd like to do a skit. Jill and I and the three kids for you as part of the message that morning that we're calling Where Angels Fear to Tread. So maybe that will get you to come to church the day after Christmas, right? <laughs> so hopefully you'll come and join us for that. It should be fun. We hope it'll be fun. The promise of Christmas is that nothing is impossible with God. Mary believed in the promise of Christmas. And one question we can ask all of us of this season is, will we? Will we believe in the promise of Christmas? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're reminded that this Christmas and every Christmas that indeed nothing is impossible with you. Father, whatever it is that that teenage girl had, whatever it is that she had that believed and trusted against impossible odds, Father, we'd ask for that same spirit, that same confidence, that same faith, that same conviction, that same courage on the promise that you've given to us, the promise that you love us, the promise that you're with us, the promise that it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we're saved, the promise that Jesus will come again and make it all right. Father, we love you. We thank you once again for this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction? This one is from one of Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, where Paul writes this, Now to him, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week, West Bulls. God bless you all.